Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, костность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Oh, 
Господь, вхожу, то в смирение и трепет прихожу. Ты творец вселенной неба и земли, меня возносишь на высоты, ты свои. Очень наш ты жизни на небесах, дай нам жизни хлеб, тебя прошу. Совершенстве твою волю научи исполнять, Ведь тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. Очень наш ты жизни на небесах, Дай нам жизни хлеб, тебя прошу. Совершенстве твою волю научи исполнять, Ведь тебя, Спаситель, я люблю. В тени крыл твой Господь, укрой мой дом, чтобы верным быть тебе всегда во всем, от лукавого и от его сетей, защити во всей дни жизни ты моей, научи прощать врагов, как ты учил, чтобы светом быть всегда на всей земле. Господи, помилуй нас твоих детей и пошли на мир твой и Научи прощать врагов, как ты учил, Чтобы светом быть всегда на всей земле. Господи, помилуй нас, твоих детей, И пошли на мир твой и покой. Goodbye to each tear and each sigh This world where I roam cannot be my home I'm bound for a land in the sky I walk and I talk with my Lord I feast every day on His Word Heaven is near and I can't stay here Goodbye world, goodbye Now don't you weep for me when I'm gone Cause I won't have to leave here alone And when I hear that last trumpet sound My feet won't stay on the ground I'm gonna rise with a shout, gonna fly I'm gonna ride with my Lord through the sky Heaven is 
can't stay here Goodbye world, goodbye Well, I won't have the blues anymore When I step across to that shore And I'll never pine for I'll leave behind My heartaches and tears evermore A day, maybe two, then goodbye Tomorrow I'll rise up and fly Heaven is near and I can't stay here Goodbye world, goodbye Now don't you weep for me when I'm gone Cause I won't have to leave here alone And when I hear that last trumpet sound My feet won't stay on the ground On the ground I'm gonna rise with the shout gonna
And so, before we continue to study our inheritance in Jesus Christ, the unchanging epigraph of the study of the Word of God is Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And for us as partakers of the body of Christ, to, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we shall continue to study our collaboration with the Holy Spirit and what is necessary to be done from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way or form of life. That is the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 4:22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. To fulfill this command, we need to utilize three charging and fundamental verbs. And these are to put off, be renewed, and put on. And to confirm this given command, elevated to the status of a commandment, we will read another place of Scripture in which the same author, in a different form, writes a similar truth calling us to remove the sinful man and his deeds and be dressed into the new person who is able to renew in knowing the image of the one who created him. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is re renewed in knowledge according to the image of him cre who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other place of scripture, it says, with the same apostle, there's no male or female gender as well. We've noted that your decision regarding these three destiny-impacting questions will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath, or more specifically, will the completion of our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a guarantee, or will we lose it and our names be forever blotted out of the book of life. In a specific format, we have already looked at the first two questions and have been studying the question, what conditions are we to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of dressing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. When speaking about clothing ourselves into our new person, we've concluded that we need God's help, that is, we need His mercy, because the mercy of God is that great and unique power of God, identifying the essence of God as well as the imperishable inheritance of peace prepared by Him for man, who is born from the seed of the word of truth and performs His righteousness. The means of receiving any kind of help from God, which we see as the inheritance of the mercy of God, is the weaponry of prayer or worship in spirit and in truth. Since prayer isn't just a man's means of communication with God, but also a kind of legal and sacral right that a man gives heaven, a tool that activates the given law of God, 
Man gives heaven the right so that heaven may intervene upon the earth. And we can possess the right that activates the given law of God only upon His established conditions. By the means of our dedication to God, our inner state or in or the inner state or inner person is the same as the inner state or inner essence of God. One of the prayers of David written in the 143rd Psalm accurately revealed the conditions upon which a man is called to form a lawful foundation for God so that God's mercy may intervene into his life or our life as well as interfere, intervene in the aspects we carry responsibility for before God. This has been the component of our continual study. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground, he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead, therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your works, I muse on the works of your hands, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, in you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Psalm 143, 1-12. When it becomes difficult for you and you do not see a way out and everything around you is shaking and getting dark, Take this prayer and make it your prayer and begin to pray it from your name. And when you finish praying it, you will see that God will immediately respond to you because he has obligated to respond when the holy people will pray in accordance to his will. And so that David can hear the mercy of God early, David needed to present to God a basis, a cause or particular right contained in his ordinances and his statutes that would be able to serve as sufficient evidence before God so that God can intervene with his faithfulness and his righteousness into David's life because God intervenes in the work of man upon planet Earth solely upon his established laws. And such evidence in this prayer, as we already know, were ten unique in their nature arguments founded upon the laws of God, these are the word of God that came out of the mouth of God, that God had elevated above all his names, and to which God willingly submits himself. Specifically, these ruling and mighty words of God, turned into promises and commandments for man, David presented to God as the consistency of his heart, saying to God, hear me, for in your faithfulness and in your righteousness, hear me because I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your works, hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, for in you do I trust. Hear me, because I lift up my soul to you. Hear me, because in you I take shelter. Hear me, for you are my God. 
потому что hear me for your namesake hear me for your righteousness sake and hear me for I am your servant in the previous services we had already studied the nature of the first argument that abided in David's heart this was evidence that faithfulness and righteousness abided in David's heart this served as a legal foundation for God giving God the ability to hear David and to stand on the side of David in his oppositions against his enemies and stop to study the second argument the second argument is evidence that in the heart of David there were memories of the days of old and all of the deeds that God had done in those days, proclaimed and presented by him in prayer. This form of evidence is the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which is a unique and continual remembrance or a continual memorial before God contained in the component of continual prayer. The breastplate of judgment was created for one purpose and to serve one purpose. This purpose was the urim and the thummim in the heart of a man, the existence of which allowed God to hear man and man to hear God. Therefore, to be heard by God in the revelation of his Urim, it was necessary to keep within your mind and your heart the works of God, that is his thummim, that God had done in the days of old. Answering the second question, what purpose has the breastplate of judgment as a component of continual remembrance within the relationship of a redeemed person and God himself? And so we've come to the conclusion that the breastplate of judgment as an item of continual remembrance before God is a sacral symbol of the format of continual prayer, giving God a foundation for which he, upon which he can do his work on planet earth. Prayer that is not in accordance to the requirements and characteristics of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be called prayer because only the format of continuous prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to come before God and to enter into the holy place as kings and priests of God to be intercessors of his will. We, called, we are called to be garmented or dressed into the virtues of a king and a priest by leaving the position of spiritual childhood, dying therefore for our nation, for our house, and for our destructive desires, wrapped into religious forms. Not possessing the virtue of a king and a priest, we will not be able to approach God to present his righteousness in accordance to those commandments and statutes that identify the union of teachings of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, that are contained in the twelve precious stones of the high breastplate of judgment, of the high priest and the twelve names of the sons of Jacob written upon these stones. Here is how we see that the built order of the breastplate of judgment identified the demands of, the spir of spirit and truth that the true worshippers of God, whom God seeks, need to be in accordance to and need to possess. Here is what we see in Apostle Paul regarding this breastplate of judgment. Er continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We note that continuing, continuing earnestly in prayer identifies a joyously burning lamp identifying the condition of the righteous heart, heart of a man. Proverbs 13.9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. John 4, 23, 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth.
Breaking or interfering the order of building the breastplate of judgment, identifying the state and nature of a true worshiper of God, the breastplate of judgment loses its nature and its purpose. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth includes not peddling with the truth when pursuing the goals that God has placed in Scripture, as people have done in all times and many do today because of their stiff neck and to benefit their greed and hypocrisy. We know that in the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice, as by the means of the Urim and the Thummim that is contained in the breastplate of judgment, God revealed to man his judgment. The symbol of the breastplate of judgment is identified as the conscience of a man, purified from dead works, upon the tablets of whom, just as a sign of the teaching of Jesus Christ is imprinted that, come, that came in the flesh. Therefore, the conscience that is purified of dead works with the imprinted faithfulness and righteousness upon its tablets is called to identify the nature of true worshipers of God that upon the foundation of faithfulness and righteousness would be able to worship God in spirit and in truth and in this way give God the right to function in them and through them upon planet Earth. In a specific format, we have already studied the measurement and the nature of materials from which the breastplate of judgment is supposed to be built that we need to be in accordance to within our spirit and stop to study the next requirement which states and you shall put settings of stone in it four rows of stone sardius topaz and emerald first row second row turquoise sapphire and diamond third row jacinth agate and amethyst and the fourth row beryl onyx and jasper they shall be set in gold settings, and the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a sign in each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Exodus 20, 17 through 21. We note that the 12 golden filigree settings of the breastplate of judgment is the living, undamaged, and presented in its original form, truth, identified as eternal life contained in the Word of God, that once came out of the mouth of God that was received by us and imprinted upon our heart. Some of the meanings, again, of the 12 golden settings symbolize the measure, measuring wreath, called to measure our worship, as well as symbol of a measuring cord, called to measure the level of our our dedication to God. And we know also that the scales are to level or to, to weigh the words that we speak to others. From your words you will be justified, and from your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12th chapter. The twelve precious stones with engraved upon them as a sign at names of the sons of Israel is a symbol and format of continual prayer presented in the perfect judgments of God. From this we can see that it isn't the golden settings being the truth of the word of God that were adjusted in measurement and configuration to fit the precious stones, but the precious stones themselves, being our prayers, are the ones that were adjusted and configured to fit the golden settings of truth. Again, it wasn't the, the settings that were configured, but the precious stones that were configured to fit the golden settings of truth, because they are the ones that are uh, 
that symbolize our prayers. Continual prayer in the 12 precious stones of the breastplate of judgment with the 12 names is a persisting prayer that in its intercession presents the interests of the will of God and does not sway away or step away from the goal until what is asked for is received. The building of the breastplate of judgment reveals itself not just in the measurements and nature of materials, but also methods and means that are called to identify the nature of continual prayer necessary for reaching the goals that God has placed for us to build the kingdom of heaven within our heart, which is also identified as the tree of life. Growing the tree of life within your heart is building yourself up into a new person, created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth, into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. With this we will remember that all the beauty and order of the temple was built for one holy item and for the service of that holy item. This was the golden ark of the covenant where God was always and the mercy seat is where the Lord spoke with man. The same thing with the ephod of the high priest with the connected to it breastplate of judgment. It was created for and served only one holy item. This item very accurately was called to duplicate and fulfill the function of the golden ark. This was the Urim and the Thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant as well as the breastplate of judgment symbolize from different angles and with various purposes the conscience of a man cleansed from dead works. Urim and Thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection, light and the right, or revelation and truth. For example, the Ten Commandments inside the ark of the covenant is the truth, also representing Christ. And this truth upon the breastplate of judgment is the Thummim. The revelation that a person could receive at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant in the Urim is the Urim in the breastplate of judgment, the Holy Spirit. Only a person who has a conscience cleansed from dead works or a wise heart upon the tablets of whom the truth in the form of the Thummim is imprinted can be a worshiper of God. The revelation of God by the means of, the, of his Urim can function only within the boundaries of truth. This truth within the heart of a person is the Thummim, the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, as it is written. Exodus 31.6 I have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. God will never place his wisdom into the heart of a foolish person. A foolish person is a person in the heart there is no teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. It's not written upon the tablets of his heart, upon the twelve precious stones. Practically, it's talking about the quality and friendship of two formats of wisdom that are contained in the Thummim and the Urim, and about the fact that carriers of the Urim and the Thummim are true worshippers of God and possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 33, 8-11, And of Levi he said, Let, let your Thummim Судьба Левия, которая должна быть нашей судьбой, это способность быть привязанным к Богу или же привязать себя к Святому Духу. Тумим твой и урим твой на святом муже твоем, которого ты искусил в массе, с которым ты припирался при водах миривы, который говорит об отце своем и матери своей, я на них не смотрю, и братьев своих не признает. And of Levi he said, let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who say of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers, or know his own children, for they have observed the word and kept their, your covenant. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the works of his hands, strike the loins of 
of those who rise against him, and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. This is the will of God that was revealed through Moses, so God wants to strike all those who will be confronting those that carry the Urim and the Thummim. And why he put these in the mouth of Moses? Because Moses was that tool by whom God was able to fulfill his will. And because he spoke these words, they became legal. They received a lawful status and are now working and functioning. With this, we note that people that say of themselves that they belong to the chosen by God nation, <coughs> that they are saved, that they're Christians, but rise against the carriers of the Urim and the Thummim and hate them because they themselves do not have the Urim and the Thummim. Their future is the lake of fire burning with fire and brimstone because they rely only upon their head and their own Bible. And of course, they complain when they hear the revelation that is not pleasant to their head or, or as they understand. In a specific format, we have already looked at the five qualities of a warrior in prayer in the first five precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God was able to continuously reveal his will upon planet Earth and stop to study the sixth quality, precious uh, diamond stone. We know that the sixth name carved upon the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment upon the tablets of our heart is the name of the sixth son of Jacob Naphtali, which means wrestler one that overcomes in, in battle. And Rachel's maid Bila conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. We note that the diamond is a brilliant stone, it is a pure carbon, which is why it has great hardness. The word brilliant doesn't apply to any other stone except for the brilliant shine and polish of a diamond, although they also have carbon, but they are not the same as a diamond, of course. The name of God presented in the precious diamond stone, according to the Jewish rabbinate, is El Hai. In Hebrew, which, when translated, means God is alive. Therefore, based on the definition of the name Naphtali upon the precious diamond stone, we can conclude that the function of the sixth principle as a format of continual prayer is our right and our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to abide with us in our prayer battles against the powers of hell which confront us when we fulfill the will of God by the name of the living God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. Jeremiah 10.10 and the everlasting king. At his wrath the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. We note that the name of the living God is the format of an oath and the category of the nation that had not learned to swear by the living God or swore falsely were completely destroyed. Jeremiah 12:16:17, And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name, as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people, but if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation says the Lord. Therefore, to not be eradicated and exterminated by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to learn the ways of the nation of God, to swear by the name of God El Hai or by the living God. 
And these ways are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. The condition that gives us the right to learn the ways or paths of God's commandments and statutes to swear by the name of the living God is the, the thirst to know them. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalm 119, 32 through 35. We note that in Hebrew, the name of God El-Hai, or living, means abiding who is with unconditional authority, defining the Genesis, creating the Genesis, holding the Genesis, keeping the Genesis, ruling over the Genesis, and commander and lord of the Genesis. Deuteronomy 10, 20-21, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and make take oath in His name. He is your praise and He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The result of swearing by the name of the living God was always the fulfillment of the promises of God for the sake of which the oath was made. The power of a warrior in prayer contained within the virtue of the name of the living God is called to present the unlimited power of God over the Genesis and the allotted by Him for us times and boundaries. Для нас времени и пределах. В силу этого мы с вами. We together have come to the necessity to learn what goal God has in His intentions when He urges and calls His children to become warriors in prayer. Also, in what way and upon what conditions is God able to and desires to give man the right to become a warrior in prayer, so that man may present the interests of God and implement or actualize his inheritance in God. For the definitions provided in Scripture, to be a warrior in prayer is the lawful and privileged inheritance of holy men of all times. This is their primary or first most purpose that is revealed in their calling to trample upon uncleanness and the unclean in their prayer battles. This is one of the greatest positions that is gifted by God to man, in which a person becomes the king and a priest to God and is seen by God as a brilliant stone or the diamond stone with the name of Naphtali. Not be a king and a priest to God in the virtues of which a person receives the unique ability and right to reign with his informational organ over his emotional organ over his emotions it is impossible to be a to be and remain a warrior in prayer with this we note that the informational organ having the ability to reign over the emotional aspect of our soul the information organ is the is the mind of man renewed with the spirit of his mind which is the mind of Christ in the heart of a person the prayer of a warrior in prayer is a sacral or holy mystery that has been has an unearthly genesis, therefore is inaccessible to the comprehension of the human mind or with human abilities. We more than once note that by its nature the genesis of prayer as well as the genesis of God does not have a beginning and does not have an end. Prayer is the language of God identifying the essence of God and identifying the word of God, determining the, ge the genesis of God. Therefore prayer has always been the mystery of God and 
It has always existed in his presence as his golden scepter of favor that he stretched forth to the one that would seek his face and perform his will. If anyone ever dared to come him upon his own conditions not being called into his presence, then God's golden scepter of favor will not be stretched out to the one asking. This will result in the prayer of this person being unheard by God. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. John 9.31 in accordance to the scripture, this place of scripture, God becomes the initiator of any prayer. If this, the situation is that a warrior in prayer is in the virtue of his worshiper, begins to pray with the language of God, identifying the precious, precious essence of God in his unchanging will. Because the right to come close to and stand before God in prayer is the exclusive prerogative of God, no one will be able to or will dare by himself come close or approach God, the God that desires to abide in darkness or mystery or in the unapproachable light. You can shout as much as you want to try to enter into God's presence, but it won't work. Jeremiah 30, 21, 22. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah 30, 21-22. And so only one governor can approach God. In accordance to this prophetic revelation, we can see that nearing or entering God's presence is the task of one governor that will come from the nation seed of Abraham. This is the only begotten Son of, of God in the status of a Son of Man, in whom and by whom any Anyone born from God and seeking God would be able to approach and enter God's presence. Discharge a commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18 To define and build a clear and orderly for a system that will teach us and help us get to know the language of God in the signs contained in the nature of a continual of continual prayer, identifying the state of a warrior in prayer that would be able to be founded or on specific commandments of God, giving man the lawful right to swear by the name of the living God. According to the revelations written in scripture, our prayer in the quality of a warrior in prayer, identified by the virtue of the brilliant stone, needs to be continual, persistent, diligent, with boldness, with reverence, with revealing or expressing the faith of our heart, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, or praying in tongues. But first I once again want to present the antonyms or opposite qualities of prayer that has already been a subject of our study. Because understanding the background of the antonyms of each quality, we more clearly will understand the quality and character contained in true prayer. The antonym of continual is unfaithful or not continuing. Persistent is resistant. The antonym of diligent is laziness. The antonym of boldness is audacity. The antonym of reverence is neglect or hatred. The antonym of the faith of God is unbelief or resistance to the faith of God. 
the antonym of thanksgiving is unthankful or of a hard heart. Further, we note that each of the ten listed qualities are present in each other, come one from the other, strengthen one the other, complete one the other, and identify the truthfulness of one the other. In other words, each of the ten listed qualities are present and balanced in the remaining nine qualities. Therefore, the truthfulness of each of the qualities is is determined by the presence of the other qualities that together united make up a wonderful balance and perfect in knowledge. Nevertheless, each of the ten qualities has its own specific face, its, own, its unrepeated and inherent only to it taste, color, smell, and character of behavior and thus as a result has its own exclusive and specific application and its own specific purpose. In, in a specific format, we have already looked at the, at the signs of the six, six qualities included in nature in the nature of prayer, as well as the state of a warrior in prayer, identifying the atmosphere of his heart, and stopped to study the seventh sign, which is thanksgiving and prayer. Thanksgiving and prayer is an expression or the openness of a thankful heart before God. As in the previous situations, it was necessary for us to study what virtues do the scriptures reveal regarding the quality and character of thanksgiving. What values or weight does it possess? What is its purpose? And how do we apply it in prayer? To better understand the significance of the element of thanksgiving in prayer, we've decided to look at four classical questions to determine the nature of thanksgiving as well as the price or condition that we are called to fulfill to be able to be dressed into its virtue and reveal its presence in our prayers. Defining the essence and purpose of thanksgiving, the price for dressing into thanksgiving, keeping and developing thanksgiving, and the fruits and rewards of thanksgiving. In Scripture, the consistency or character of the word thanksgiving, as with the previous qualities, is prescribed in prayer as a commandment, as a requirement, and as an urgent military command, a command that is to be fulfilled without deviation. <laughs> Not fulfilling this requirement breaks our relationship in the covenant with God and members us to the sons of perdition. According to the written regulations in Scripture, identifying the essence and purpose of the word thanksgiving, as with the other elements, is directly linked to the quality of our faith or the thoroughness of our obedience to the will of God. And before we continue to look at the qualities and nature of a thankful heart to stir up or excite zeal in us, I will again bring forth some familiar to us expressions about thanksgiving of some famous philosophers, politicians, and other men of study in the form, format of aphorisms. Because their outlook and their understanding of thanksgiving, as sad as this may be or sadly, is greater than the outlook of those that should be an example or representative of the essence of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an exquisite form of politeness. Thanksgiving is acceptance and a sign of nobility of the soul. Thanksgiving is that little that is unable to be purchased for money. The unthankful are most often the ones that rely on thanksgiving. The one that is thankful does not convince change because of an evil offense. For a great soul, thanksgiving is not so much of an obligation as it is a satisfaction. It's a debt that, is debt that she gladly and continuously pays, not attempting to get even for it.
First question, or first part of the first question, what virtues and criteria do the scriptures give the quality of thanksgiving? And the second part is what purpose is our thanksgiving and prayer in the format of, of praise to God called to fulfill? We've already looked at the first part of the first question and stopped to, stop to study the second part of the first question. The first purpose of thanksgiving is called to reveal the life of God in our heart and flow as a brook of life from the inside of our heart. It's called to flow from our heart as a stream towards the direction of God's heart. It's called to flow by the effect of life-giving power of the statutes of God. It's called to utter... The fourth purpose of thanksgiving in praise is to utter in parables the hidden since the creation of the world. The fifth purpose is called to proclaim the manifestation of liberty from debt and servitude of all kinds of dependence. The sixth is cons consistent in receiving strength called to establish what God has done for us. Seventh is directed to fulfilling the statute, <coughs> statutes of God that are contained in the laws of God. Eighth, it is the opportunity to walk around the inheritance of hope gifted to us by God in redemption. And ninth is to pursue a unique ability to call upon God upon the foundation of statutes founded upon the law of grace and coming from the law of grace. Zephaniah 3, 8, 9. Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour out on them my indignation. All of my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore the people a pure language that they may all call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. In the given place of scripture, when talking about nations and kingdoms, it's talking about the religious confessions and unions impacting global politics and geopolitics of the rulers of the world. Because the world does not know God and cannot wait for God. Therefore, the given ultimatum is addressed to the religious leaders of various religious confessions and their satraps pronouncing the pure as impure and the impure as pure, and in this way leading the submissive to them nations into deception. To call upon God in the given findings means give God by the means of thanksgiving where we proclaim the non-existent as existent, provide legal grounds for the pour out of his indignations upon those nations and kingdoms that call themselves worshippers of God and who call upon God but not in accordance to his statutes so that God, in response to the thanksgiving of a warrior in prayer for knowing his will, would be able to respond to them with his thanksgiving, revealing, revealed in the fire of his jealousy, and depose the lawless amongst these nations and kingdoms, so that all that come to God independent from their religious confessions would call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Looking at the essence of the grace of God in his thanksgiving towards man, that is activated by our thanksgiving to him, expressed in praise to God, we more than once note that the grace of God is not something abstract, something that can't be specified or identified. Grace is a certain or specific benevolence of God in his thanksgiving to man, a specific complex or totality of all of who God is, a specific and unchanging goal to which God strives. This is def the definition of all that comes from God, a specific and unchanging law of God 
a specific and unchanging order of the kingdom of heaven, a specific doctrine or teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the definition of all of which the kingdom of heaven consists. These definitions are founded and obtain legal power in the new covenant of God with man, made upon the law of grace and the blood of the cross of Christ, that firstly, the law of grace is founded upon the law of Moses, flows from the law of Moses, is contrasted or different than the law of Moses, is exalted above the law of Moses, cancels the law of Moses, takes the place or replaces the law of Moses, Moses is independent from the law of Moses and is stricter than the law of Moses. <coughs> the main essence identifying waiting for God in the words of prophet Zephaniah is the hope of a warrior in prayer upon God and seek one who seeks God identifying worship. This identifies his worship and a thankful heart of a man who seeks or aims for God. From one end, calling upon the name of God means set your heart to listen to what God will say, wait ready to immediately and without deviation fulfill all that God will say. And from the other end, to call upon the name of God means to thank God for who he is for you and what God has done for you. The fuller definition of the phrase to call upon God in Hebrew means build yourself into an altar of the Lord, build yourself into a breastplate of judgment, build yourself into a wall with the addition of a tower, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. With patience and hope, wait for what God will say, passionately desire and be ready to fulfill what God will say. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Show your acceptance of the authority of God over you, his delegated ones. Express your love to God in all thanksgiving. Honor God with your tithes and offerings. These are the some definitions that talk about how to call upon God. Studying this phenomenon existed beyond the boundaries of our mind's abilities. We need to consider that the level of our relationship communication with God is in worship can be different. All will depend from the level of our dedication that in turn will depend on the level of our sanctification. It begs the question, how do we prepare our heart to wait for God and calling upon Him, identified as worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Or how do we prepare our heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say? Because only after we prepare our heart to listen to what God will say, we from our side will be able to call upon the Lord and God in turn will receive the ability to open the ear of our heart or to listen to His word. In other words, to call upon the Lord, it is necessary to build yourself into an altar of the Lord. Building yourself into an altar will depend on you fulfilling specific conditions that will prepare our heart for offering of sacrifices or will prepare to listen to what God will say with the readiness to fulfill what, he, what we hear. We will remember that preparing your heart for hearing the preached word of God by itself from our side is already an act of thanksgiving. I will bring forth seven definitions of how to prepare our heart for listening and fulfilling the preached word, although there are many more of them. First, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to walk prudently when you go into the house of God and be prepared to hear rather than give sacrifices. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Prudently walking is being built into an altar of the Lord upon practice. This means to watch your motives or goals. 
that we are pursuing in worship to determine from where they come, from our desires or from the desires of God that are in His good, acceptable, and perfect will. When I go into the house of God, I need to prepare my heart to listen to the word of God and not what I'm going to reveal, my desires, but that I'm ready to fulfill the desire of God and to receive the opportunity and ability to differentiate and separate your desires from the desires of God and not present your desires as the desires of God, it is necessary to fulfill specific conditions that we can be taught by being instructed in the faith. These conditions consist in building yourself into a wall and building in this wall a tower from the position of, position of which God can hear thanksgiving in our prayers and we would be able to hear the thanksgiving of God in His mercy in time of need. Habakkuk 2, 1 through, through 3. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Towers often were built into the walls and not some, somewhere separately. This is a wall that defends a city, and there's a tower there. And this tower was built so that a person can uh, stand there and watch. When the enemy comes, he can uh, give the uh, or alert the others. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart to watch to see what he will say to me. This wall and tower is what the this is a prophet speaking and what I will answer when I am corrected then the Lord answered me and said write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it and so the reader is the Lord so he can easily read it what you want in your heart so that it be upon or uh, so that it be uh, in accordance to the will of God for the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it will speak and it will not lie though it tarries wait for it because it will surely come it will not tarry and so it needs to be written there so that God can easily read it. It shouldn't be fady or misunderstood. I don't know what I want or how I want it or kind of know but don't know for sure. To be built into an altar of the Lord is to be built into a wall upon which you can build a battlement of silver. And the battlement of silver is salvation so our salvation can be built. If our wall won't be built, then we will lose our salvation. And also boards of cedar. Boards of cedar by which God would be able to speak to our heart and we in turn would be able to respond to him with our thanksgiving because cedar doors are a symbol of righteousness and because of righteousness God hears us and we hear him here's what it says in Songs of Solomon 8, 9, 10 about his most beautiful of women. If she is a wall, it's talking about the one that wants her status, but she's not yet ready, she's too young. If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. And now she responds, the older one, the beloved one, I am a wall and my breast like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. 
Secondly, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to understand and admit the impossibility of saving yourself with your own personal good deeds and to confess before God this impossibility in the virtue of the poverty of the Spirit. Genesis 4.26 And as for Seth, to him also a son was born and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. When Seth bore Enosh, people began to call upon the name of God. Uniting these two names, we see a poverty in spirit that gives us the lawful ability to call upon God or to run to God. And this poverty in spirit is revealed in the possibility of saving yourself with good deeds, the initiator of which is our flesh. The name Seth means trade or placed into the foundation, and the name Enosh means a person unable to save himself. Seth, he replaced Abel, who had died. Jesus came as a replacement. He was broken. Abel was broken, and Seth came to, to restore that seed of the, of the dead. And what he bore, the first one he bore, was Enosh. And then they began to call upon God. The impossibility of saving yourself with your own deeds needs to become the state of our heart, revealing in its virtue of poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. Poor in spirit, <coughs> we need to bear fruit. We need to bear Enosh. When a person bears Enosh, he becomes beautiful, pleasant, humble, not claiming anything for himself. Whatever God may do through him, he doesn't walk proudfully and does not elevate himself above others. He knows 100% that everything that he has is the mercy of the Lord and not his own deserving. <coughs> because he bore Enosh. He can call upon the name of the Lord. He has the right. Poor in spirit are people that willingly rejected all hope upon the flesh and all that is linked to the flesh, dying for your nation, for your house, and for your destructive desires. <coughs> Apostle Paul also wrote about this, who also bore Enosh, who bore this fruit to God. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, he was Jew of Jews from the tribe of Benjamin, discipline at the feet of Gamaliel, all of these things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Loss mean, meaning as garbage. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, if we will not have this fruit of poverty, uh, Enosh, but with this fruit of righteousness, we will be able to know God, know the power of his resurrection and will take part in his sufferings and be conformed in his death. 
Third, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to be dressed into the virtue of a servant of the Lord. 1 Kings 8.52 That your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you to, be call, to call upon the name of the Lord you need to be a servant to be garmented into the virtue of a servant of the Lord is by the example of our Heavenly Father place yourself in dependence of the preached word from his delegation and from the Holy Spirit. We confidently know the reaction of God to the word that comes out of his mouth. As soon as the word comes out of his mouth, God willingly and consciously places himself in dependence from the word and becomes a servant of his word. He depends from his word. He answers for his words. He took this responsibility to fulfill it. <clears throat> the words of God, with its, its written, I will worship towards your holy temple, David writes, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your names, Psalm 138.2. Therefore, the words of God with its authority and its power become equal to the authority and power of God. When God places them over himself, before him, uh, they become equal to his. Due to this, the word of prayer, or words of prayer that a warrior in prayer prays, in accordance to the demands of the will of God in impact of its authority, and by the impact of its power, becomes equal in authority and power as the authority and power of the words of God. This is why it is important to be dressed into the virtue of a servant of the Lord. Many don't understand what it means to be a servant of the Lord. This means to be a servant of the Word of God. As God is a servant of His Word, we need to be a servant of His Word, not our desires, not our own personal will, but His Word. Then we have the right to call upon God, and when we have the right to call upon God, as we are the servants of his word, then our words, our prayers, will be equal in power and authority as his. Fourth, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to find comfort and delight in the Almighty always. Job 27, 8 through 10, the most ancient book. 27, 8 through 10. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much, if God takes away his life, will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? There's an analogy being made between a hypocrite and a person that does not have hypocrisy, who is pure before the Lord. When misfortune hits and he begins to cry, will God pay attention uh, to him and hear his cries? And will this person, this hypocrite, be comforted by the Almighty and call upon God in the time of trouble? In the given component, the readiness of the heart to listen and fulfill that what God says consists in the comfort of our heart by the Almighty that gives us the right and ability to call upon God always and also when misfortune comes upon us. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable.
человека. Обратите внимание, если мы только в этой жизни надеемся на Христа, то мы несчастнее всех человеков. Поэтому человек, который And we, he, he is not looking for why, why did this happen. Job was not looking for why this happened. People, his friends were saying, look at where the problem is. Something happened. God, this can't happen with the righteous. And what did he say? I will not give up my righteousness. I'm not going to look at what I don't have. Because he said, the Lord is living before whom I stand. He had the fruit of Enosh. He said, I believe that my Redeemer lives. He did not rely upon his deeds. He relied upon the redemption of the Lord. The righteousness he received in redemption. And so whatever may happen, he still found comfort in the Almighty. And so any loss or materialistic losses, including the death of our body, is not able to uh, <coughs> take from us the comfort of the, of the Almighty. Romans 14, 7 through 9. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lives again, that he, may might, he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He died so that when we, if we die, we still are the Lord's because we are together with Christ. Fifth, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to become a willing captive of God. Psalm 80, 17, 18. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the sons of men, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you, revive us, and we will call upon your name. If you will not revive us, we will not be able to call upon your name. It's interesting that the phrase revive us in Hebrew means allow us to stay alive, take us captive, make us your captives. Considering that we are created by God's sovereign, God cannot take us captive without our agreement and will. And with this to take us captive so that we fulfill from our side his undeviating conditions that consist in us being with him in his trials and so we gather with him. Psalm 68, 18 through 21, he can make us his captives if we will be with him in his trials and will gather with him. You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive. You have received gift, gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on his own trespasses. Psalm 60, 18 through 21. Here it's talking about <coughs> the head of uh, the hairy scalp. In Scripture, symbolically, anything that grows from the body is a symbol of sin. 
everything that grows from the body. And so when a person in the Old Testament to come to God to sanctify himself, he needed to remove all the hair from his body and wash himself to show that nothing nothing's coming from his body, from himself. Everything... When God wants to redeem a person to uh, announce him as, pronounce him as guiltless, he doesn't want anything coming from his body at this time. And so, that's why it says the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. Matthew 12:30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Upon practice, being with Christ in his trials and to gather with him is to be in trials with his delegated ones and to gather with his delegated ones. Sixth, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who dil diligently seek him. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for if he who comes to God must believe that he is and he, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. <laughs> that the one that comes to God will believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the current situation, the word faith means obedience to the preached word of the delegated persons of God. The word believe means to trust God, that he is vigilant over his word, that he entrusted to this to his delegated ones so that his word be per, per, uh, performed promptly. To have faith or believe in God means to rely upon God and hope upon the mighty word of God. Jeremiah 1, 11, 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. <coughs> When I come to God, I need to see in my heart God that is vigilant over His Word. And in order to see this, I need to be vigilant over that Word of God that I've placed into my heart. And when I'm vigilant, I see in accordance to His will I am vigilant. I don't have other evidence that God is vigilant over His Word except for the Word that is within me because he himself has made him servant of his word. From God's side, to be vigilant regarding his word that came out of his mouth means always standing guard of his words, to watch after his words, not to lose sight of his words, to focus upon his words, find rest in his words, to be satisfied in his words, and watch the fulfillment of his word. <coughs> Considering that God concealed his word in the twelve golden settings of the breastplate of judgment of our conscience, purified from dead works, the fulfillment of his word will depend on the twelve precious stones. This is the confession of the faith of our heart, <coughs> that as a component of our prayers, in measurement and in configuration will be accordance to the golden settings of his word. I, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, but therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Psalm 116.1.2 I want for us to understand these things, these godly principles, because we look at what God is going to do. Again, God is a servant of his own, of his own words. He is dependent of, of his word. He has enough strength to fulfill what he, his word in, his t in its time. We need to take these words. When we take these words, then we will rejoice. 
Because just as God pays attention to his word, we also need to pay attention to his word. Seventh, preparing your heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say is to call upon God in pains of death and pangs of hell so that God would deliver our soul from death upon his conditions. Psalm 116, 3-4 The pains of death surrounded me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, implore you deliver my soul. He called upon the name of the Lord. In the original it says, Deliver my soul upon your conditions. This is one of the most difficult to accept and difficult to fulfill conditions, giving man the right to call upon the Lord or prepare a heart for listening and fulfilling what God will say in the time of deadly illnesses and hell suffering. When the Son of God being... When something happens to us and God has allowed, don't think that something just happens. God has allowed it to happen. But in this time, if you have not focused upon the fact that God has allowed this, that you actually focus on what God wanted to tell you in this situation. You need to use those moments when the Son of Man, the Son of God, being in His nature righteous first, calls upon the name of His Heavenly Father and the status of the Son of Man as a warrior in prayer, then His prayer for, as an example to follow always satisfies the requirement of the perfect will of God. In the given prophetic findings, we are greeted with the example of the greatest dedication to God that is revealed in trials that come upon the Son of Man, in which he revealed hope upon God, obedience to the will of God until his death, death of the cross. Luke 22, 41-44, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will. And so even the most beloved sometimes in this moment, you, you may be suffering in, in a moment, and the ones that even are closest to you may turn away at this time. And they may start condemning you, saying, I saw you with this other person, but you'll say, I don't know this person. If you can imagine yourself absolutely alone, Will you? Are you ready then to overcome these trials with Christ? Is your heart uh, able to stand alone and not go after the the the, the majority of uh, of those who will follow the other one? And he was withdrawn from the about a stone throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, "Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. God will test us in such a way it, we will ask." Uh, and we will suffer saying if will it be possible for this to pass away but when we see it can't we'll say okay Lord I am ready to listen to what you will tell me in this time when he had agreed he says not my will but yours be done then an angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground I always in this time remember as I say this would be something that not the people of the world would need to write, but the people of God. But this uh, poem that I re will read is one uh, that was written by a person of this world, Sergei Yesenin, who was a poet, who uh, people admire very much. 
And so the poem is, would you have enough greatness till the end? In the hour of death, by his example also, to bless the whole world under the thorny crown and to teach of immortality upon his place of death. A person who saw something in, from the gospel that the Son of God at the time of suffering hellish pain would continue to teach immortality, dying. To identify yourself with this level of total or all-capturing dedication to the will of God, we would be able to, in the likeness of the Son of Man, reveal our hope upon God in trials with Christ in obedience to death and the death of the cross. It, would be ne it is necessary for us to imitate God by looking at these trials in the way that God looks at us in Christ Jesus when we identify ourselves in the death of his Son in his trials. Ephesians 5, 1 through 11, God was looking at this time uh, at his son when he was suffering, and he looks at us when this happens to us as well, but how does he look? Ephesians 5, 1 through 11, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it's fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of, uh, of thanks. This includes also belittling others or uh, lowering them, putting, uh, trying to make them belittle them or to depose them somehow. For this, this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk in, as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We can expose them in our life. This doesn't mean to another one saying, this is wrong, you shouldn't be doing this, don't do it this way. You, you yourself don't do it. And this person, when he sees that you're not doing what he does, it will judge him. When you see you're not dressing like they dress, this will give them a pause. In the given place of Scripture, we will pay attention to the command to imitate God in the way that children imitate beloved father, a beloved father, in this manner and his, in his manner and his behavior towards his children. And again, they imitate in manner and the behavior they have towards the children. As the Heavenly Father looks at what happens with us in tests and trials with Christ, that serve as a tool necessary for our sanctification. If we, in the likeness of our Heavenly Father, will look upon our trials as God looks at them, what happens with us, then our heart will receive the right 
to call upon God and will be prepared to listen and obey God, even when we are struck with sicknesses that are deadly and we suffer with hell pains. I would like to read one place of scripture from the prophecy of Isaiah in which the Holy Spirit reveals the character and power of trials that we are called to overcome if we want to reign with Christ. Also how God looks at us in these trials and how he sees us in these trials so that we, in the likeness of him, with the characteristics that he has, would be able to look upon these trials the same way. Isaiah 17, 12 through 14 and 18, 3 through 7. The original doesn't have uh, chapters and sometimes when they would break down the chapters, then they would uh, sometimes end one chapter, but it's not uh, finished. It continues into the next chapter, the same thought. And so the end of the 17th chapter and beginning of the 18th. Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations like make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Then behold, an event tide, trouble, and before the morning he is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us, all inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth. When he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it, and when he blows a trumpet, you hear it. For so the Lord said to me, I will take my rest, and I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat and sunshine, sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening to, in the flower, he will both cut off the, the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They will be left together for the mountain birds of prey and for the beasts of the earth. The birds of prey will, su uh, will summer on them and all of the beasts of the earth will winter on them. <coughs> this is for, the, for your enemies. In that time, a time of present will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth of skin, and from a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, to Mount Zion. And so these loud religious, uh, religious uh, groups uh, that have control in the political uh, political things of these of the world or, or the poli 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 take part in the politics of the countries, and these are these global. Uh, democratic uh, structures that they support. And these enemies, these structures, uh, are the enemy of the, of the holy people, and you can overcome them by sanctification. And you overcome the trials of Christ and look at them like God looks at them. As he says that... I will take rest, I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of the harvest. How can God calmly look at something, uh, something like what I'm like? I would be experiencing uh, something suffering or an, in pain and when it's difficult for me? God looks at us as a strong and bold nation, and that is 
awesome from the beginning to the end. And so that's how God looks at us uh, as He looks at us calmly and the mountain of Zion is the bride of the Lamb, uh, the chosen by God nation. And the land that is cut down, uh, cut uh, into rivers, by rivers is, is a symból of the uh, wise heart, uh, the wise heart of the bride of the Lamb. The four rivers in the heart is the teaching of the baptisms, the teaching of the laying on of the hands, the teaching of the resurrection of the dead, and the te teaching of the eternal judgment. We need to know that when God bore us by the word of truth, so that we would be a first fruit of his creatures, so that we would rule over all that he had created, then the seed of birth with, with which he bore us, he had placed his greatness and his power in the four rivers that represent his rule and his power over all that is in heaven, on earth, and hell. When we will look at ourselves in Jesus Christ as God sees us and not how the unclean describe us or ascribe to us, but how God sees us, and we are this way, how God sees us, then we will have access to the power of the four rivers that divide the, our, our lands, which are the words of faith in our heart. When we will call upon God at the time of these hell pains, by the format of his word that is that are contained in the word in the word which are these rivers we will look at these trials calmly just as god looks at them the body will suffer but the spirit will rejoice that's what will be happening I calmly look, God says, why? Because God has so much power in his word. With his word, he created everything and keeps it and will destroy everything that is not pleasant to him. And he see, doesn't see you as weak. He sees you bold and strong, one that tramples upon the enemy that all fear. Because by this nation, he will judge the world. He will judge hell. Hell is afraid of God's nation. When you will look at yourself as God looks at you, hell will be afraid. And this is literally. God will receive the ability to protect you. The hell will not be able to do anything to you unless God allows it. This is what it means to be ready to call upon the name of the Lord. If you are ready to look at yourself as God looks at you and sees you how he sees you and not see yourself as weak and pitiful, then we will be able to call upon the name of the Lord. And this will be the greatest thanksgiving for, to, to God. And God will be thankful then to us and destroy our enemies. He will trample our enemy because of our confessions. He will trample the sicknesses that are in you, your dependences by your faith, by your confessions. God sees you bold and strong 
because you have accepted his word. Remember, he is the servant of his own word, and he is strong enough to fulfill it. Remain faithful and trust the word that you've received, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us bend our knees and pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we worship before you in this hour, in this day, at this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this church where you are because your temple is are the hearts of your people. And we thank you that you've given us the ability to gather together in this place to hear what you will say to us, how you see us today. You see us, us as strong and bold one that tramples upon all things and the rivers that divide this land, which are your truth. May Zion be blessed. This is that great mountain that is the decoration for the world, the jewel of the earth, <coughs> and the rivers that divide our earth, split up or divide up our earth, is the truth. May your nation be blessed we thank you and we believe in your word that we have put into our heart and not to sin but to proclaim that the lord is living and i will not stumble may this be a confession be a confession of your people so that they stop suffering and that they not looking at their sufferings they would be receiving comfort and joy uh, joy that will not any materialistic loss will not dim this joy so that they may rejoice that in their spirit they uh, the great god is there and his word and that he will fulfill it he can fulfill it he wants to fulfill it and he will fulfill it in this time we need to be able to wait until he does this he said wait for me when I shall rise to destroy your enemies to remove them from the face of the earth not looking at the fact that today they wail but God will make them a laughing stock your faith and your confessions will shake and their wailing will stop and they will be pursued and you will overcome and destroy them in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord fulfill his word that your nation has put into their heart. May your glory be in us and through us, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Могущему же соблюсти нас от падения и поставить пред славою Своею непорочными в радости, единому премудрому Богу, Спасителю нашему, через Иисуса Христа, Господа нашего, слава и величие, сила и власть прежде всех веков, ныне и во все веки. Аминь.